Hello, everybody. Welcome back to our low effort, low quality podcast. This is Liz Brunig. This is my husband, Matt. Hi, everyone. You know, most people have to wait until their company's yearly Christmas party to find their asshole husband fighting with their colleagues, but not me. Uh, that happened to me the other day when it came to my attention that uh, at peoplespolicyproject.org, Matt had given one of my Washington Post colleagues 20 Pinocchios. Ultimately, 32 Pinocchios. A total of 32 Pinocchios. Yeah. More than anyone else has ever received. Do you uh, know that for a fact? Yeah, because you can only get f- four Pinocchios maximum on there uh, at the post. So yeah. necessarily 32 or 20 or is more than that. So well, it's, thank, it's you for, uh, thank you for getting into a bitter feud with my colleagues on Twitter. Uh, why don't you describe the nature of this meltdown? I wouldn't call it a meltdown. I think we we're having a good dialogue about... You gave him 32 Pinocchios. There were a lot of factual mistakes. And then, but it's um, not like one po- Pinocchio per mistake. It's like the degree of the falsehood. Yes, it's a judgment call. You know, I would say it's more art than science. And, <laughs> you know, <laughs> in my scale, that's how many Pinocchios he deserved. 32 Pinocchios. 32. 20 for the first errors that I spotted. And then I spotted two more errors. And I only gave 12 for that, which, you know, is, is proportion is, you know. Those were lesser errors than the first ones. And then a member of Bernie Sanders' staff on Twitter asked him to admit that he was a Pinocchio. Yes. Um, that I don't know why that happened, but there was, yes, um, a member of, apparently, of uh, the Bernie Sanders uh, Senate, Senate staff. staff who said that Mr. Kessler should do a video saying that he's the real Pinocchio. <laughs> And I don't think that I did not call for that. And I don't think that's necessary. Are you willing to disavow it? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay. All right. Okay. So, so, so how did this, this situation begin? Okay. So last week, the Mercatus Center, was it last week or two weeks ago? ago? Two weeks ago, the Mercatus Center releases this study and it's an attempt to score the Bernie Sanders Medicare for All bill. And what they're trying to figure out is, you know, how much is it going to cost? That's basically the main thing. And it's a really simple paper. Like, it's not... I, 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 when I first read the paper, I kind of felt foolish because I have so far avoided writing such a paper because I'm like, man, I, I need really uh, elaborate models mm-hmm. to do this correctly. But they don't use elaborate models at all. They just use a handful, like three elasticities they found in some papers and threw some tables together. I mean, it was a, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't want to say it was a bad paper. I, I thought it was enough. So Brew is giving them a low score on bad tanksmanship. It's fine, but I feel like if I had released a paper like that, mm-hmm. people would say, where's your model? You can't just pull an elasticity out of a paper and then multiply it in a spreadsheet. You gotta, it's got to be more involved than the that. The socialist um, think tanks have to work twice as hard to be recognized half as much as the Coke think tanks. Yeah, I mean, you know, frankly, their method in this paper was not different from the Jerry Friedman papers when he was scoring Medicare for All. And, I mean, they came up with somewhat different conclusions, Um because they use different estimates, but like the level of rigor involved who can was you fill the listeners in on who Jerry Friedman is. Jerry Friedman's a great guy. I love him. I, I chat with him on Twitter from time to time, but he's a professor at UMass Amherst and he uh, scored uh, Bernie Sanders Medicare for all plan during the presidential campaign. 
His score was a two-page memo. (laughs) It was, you know, maybe not as detailed as it ought to have been. But the level of analysis was uh, was actually on the same level as this Mercatus report. Um, You know, in terms of technical sophistication and that sort of thing. And so your your view of this Mercatus report was what? Well, I looked at it and I, I, so... You disagreed with the tanksmanship. You thought it was bad tanksmanship. No, I thought it was fine tanksmanship. But I acknowledge that I have avoided putting out a similar paper because I thought people would say, this is not detailed enough. This is... You know, this is not enough. You need to put together more stuff, in part because Jerry Friedman put out a paper just like this, and people kind of laughed at it. Okay. Um, so, anyways, I didn't even raise that issue because I, th- I think it's fine, personally. But they're trying to figure out what the cost of Medicare for All is, right? And when you do that, what you basically want to do is, and they do this exactly, they say, okay, how much money are we spending in the U.S. total on health care? Not talking about the federal government, how much they're spending, or state governments, or whatever. All of it. Take mm-hmm. all the spending from all the sources. How much is that? Yeah. Okay, that's your starting point. Then you go, okay, if we do Medicare for all, 30 million more people are going to be insured. Yeah. Right? That's point one. Point two, of the people who are currently insured, their out-of-pocket expenses are going to go down. Right? So those two things are going to cause people to spend more or I should say, to go see the doctor more, Yeah. right? If you're uninsured, now you're insured, you can go see the doctor. And if out-of-pocket expenses go down, it's easier for you to go see the doctor because you don't have to pay $50, whatever. Okay, so that's step one is to say, how much is it going to go up? How how many more doctor visits are we going to see exactly? And he estimates that. I think he says 11%. It's going to go up by 11%. I think that's what he said. Um, Okay, so, so, okay, so that's step one. But then there's this countervailing thing where we're going to save money. And we're going to save money by uh, bringing down administrative costs, right? by paying less for prescription drugs, mm-hmm. and by paying less for medical services. Okay. And so what's the net of those two? Utilization goes up, people see the doctor more, but the cost goes down, right? Another way to put it is more units of healthcare are going to be produced and consumed but the price of each unit will be lower. Yeah. And so what's the net effect of those two changes? And they find the net effect, if you believe Bernie Sanders is going to do what he says he's going to do. I believe it. Is spending overall goes down by $2 trillion over wow. the next 10 years. But since the federal government is now taking on all of that spending, mm-hmm. whereas used to, there were private... Uh, insurers, there's Medicaid, which oh, is yeah. uh, done on the state level, all this other spending. If you, you know, only look at the federal government, their spending is going to go up by $32 trillion over the next year. Yeah. Over the next 10 years. And so that to me, those are the two like interesting bits of it. Okay. Now, when they write the paper, what they're really trying to do, if you think about Mercatus, you know, it's a libertarian think tank. It's funded by the Koch brothers. What they're trying to do is they're trying to get people, especially at AP or Reuters, the wire services, Washington Post, etc., to write a piece that just has the headline, Medicare for all to cost $32 trillion. That's all they really want to do with this paper. They don't care about anything else. That's the thing they emphasize in their little abstract. That's the thing they focus on. It's in what we call the press kit. That's the whole thing they're trying to do. Yeah. $32 trillion. Sure. Get that in that, in those headlines. Right. 
But to me, as someone who is less interested in which pot the money comes from, right. the most relevant number is two trillion in savings. Right, right. Because that means that's two trillion more dollars that people are going to have in their pocket to spend. Yeah. Yeah, you're going to pay more tax, but you're, that's you're going to pay less in premiums, out-of-pocket expenses, etc. At the end of the day, two trillion more bucks in your pocket, mm-hmm. and we cover everyone, and you don't have to pay out-of-pocket expenses. Huge deal. Huge right? deal. And I come out right away when the report is released in a People's Policy Project at first, but then Jacobin took it up um, with that headline. Right. Mercatus study says Medicare for all saves two trillion dollars. And I go through and I walk through, et cetera. And there was a funny split because the people who had their stories pre-prepared and put them out right when the Mercatus study released, who had obviously been working with their comms team, yeah. the headlines, 32 trillion, 32 trillion, 32 trillion. Yeah. And then after that, I would say a good maybe half of the pieces that weren't pre-prepared and just kind of had to react and quickly get out copy, right. they had seen my take mm-hmm. and had seen other people making the same point and you got a different headline. So you got right. the headline at slate that was like a uh, Coke funded study accidentally finds $2 trillion of savings and stuff like that. And so the Mercatus people and the guy who wrote this study were not happy. Yeah. Bernie ended up doing a video. I saw that saying, Thank you to the Koch brothers yeah. for proving this. And they, they, they obviously scored this as a, as a loss on their end because they wanted this huge slam dunk and unfortunately buried in the tables of their report, yeah. uh, you could find that there were savings overall. And they didn't tell that to any of the reporters in advance. The reporters didn't think to look on row eight of table two. Except you. Uh, and so, but they lost because mm-hmm. we were able to get this rapid response, et cetera. And ever since they lost that, they have been trying to get a do-over on it. Mm -hmm. And the fact-checking is part of that do-over process. Yeah. And you can tell that they're working the fact-checkers to try to say, Bernie Sanders is lying. Bernie Sanders is misrepresenting. He keeps focusing on this $2 trillion, blah, 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 blah. Right. They're trying to win the PR battle back. Right. They lost the sta- round one. The fact checkers, I guess, are round two. Yeah. Okay. And the problem with this is that the $2 trillion savings, that comes from the exact same estimate that says there's going to be $32 trillion of additional federal expenditures. Those are the same estimate. It's just right. two different ways of describing the same estimate. And so... You guys push that estimate out. Right. Every reporter you work with put this in their headline and promoted that. That's how you guys promoted the study. You promoted that estimate because you're like, look at this big number. <laughs> These morons, you know, that that's sort of how you played it. And so it is hard then to come back to me and be like, well, Bernie Sanders was misleading by taking the estimate we promoted to the whole country. Mm-hmm. And finding a different aspect of it and, and pointing that aspect out. How do you at that point say he's misleading? Right. Right. If, if the estimate that shows $2 trillion is a misleading estimate, then all these stories are misleading. Right. Because they're all using that same estimate. Everything written about it is right. misleading. Right. So, you know, okay. With that understood, there is, of course, in the paper 
they say, oh, but it might be that um, Bernie Sanders will not set the provider payment rates as low as he says he's going to set them. Yeah. He might have to set them higher. And if he has to set them higher, then instead of saving $2 trillion, it's actually going to cost $5 trillion or something like that. Right. But that's not the main part of the paper. Right. That's a sort of supplementary, hey, we've done this other thing where we ch- we pick a different provider payment rate. Not his provider payment rate. Right. One so we this is have if chosen. Bernie does, doesn't do what he says. If Bernie doesn't do it. And important to note, this is not like, uh, well, we es- we, we've, we're using a different estimate of the effect of Bernie right. plan. You're just like, what if Bernie plan doesn't happen? What if, right. Because one way you could do this is you could say, Bernie's plan assumes that utilization is only going to go up by 5%. So, he only, so people are only going to demand 5% more doctor visits. Yeah. We don't think that's what's going to happen. We think what's going to happen is people are going to demand 10% more doctor visits. And then you're like, okay, that's a, who knows? Yeah, <laughs> right? who knows? it's hard to say. But the provider payment rates are set in the law. That right. is not a question of what's going to happen once this hits. That's a question of is he going to do the plan or not? Right. Is it actually going to be the plan you see reflected or is it going to be something else? Right. And so you're so that's obviously why they don't lead with that. It's deep in the report and it's not a big thing. But that what they try to sell to the to the fact checkers is they go to And it's not just at the post. It's PolitiFact, AP, um, Washington Post, those are the three that I've seen so far. They try to go to them and say, Bernie didn't mention our alternative estimate. Bernie didn't mention that one. Mm-hmm. That's not the estimate you were promoting to the whole world. And it's also not the estimate that tracks his plan. Right. Why, would, why that, would he mention it? Why would he mention it when you're like, what if he did this totally other plan? I've scored yeah. that. Well, I don't, what? That's not my plan. We scored a plan Bernie doesn't have and he didn't even mention it. He didn't, right? Like that's their case that they're making the fact checkers. But the fact checkers are one, well, I don't, I don't want to impugn them obviously for uh, professional reasons. They are trying to be fair. They are maybe trying to be fair. I think some of them um, have biases. We all have biases. Everyone has ideology, the view from nowhere, et cetera, et cetera, right? We know all this. Yeah, we're open um, about it on this ca- yes. on this cast. People have biases and ideology, and, and, we don't even and try to hide it. they're more susceptible to certain pitches. And so if you pitch someone who is more centrist on the idea that Bernie Sanders is lying, they're going to be open to that. Um, and, and, and it's also the case that the people who write the fact checks are not always mm-hmm. uh, you know, experts, they're easy to trick, you know, just like if you were to come to me and have me write a fact check on, you know, uh, quantum physics, uh, you know, I probably would just kind of write whatever you asked me to write. Yeah. You know, because um, I haven't studied it. Yeah. Um, what if you did, though? You could probably figure it out. I think if I put enough time into it, sure. Anyway. Um, but so, yeah, so so. There are two that I think are really interesting. So the AP one is really funny because the guy who wrote the AP fact check yep. um, headlined Sanders spends savings in Medicare plan. Ricardo Alonzo Zaldivar, he's the same guy who wrote up the Mercatus study. So he wrote he wrote article about the Mercatus study. Okay, and let me just read the the very first paragraph of this article. This was about the Mercatus study when it came out. Where, he, where was it published? At AP. This at was AP. a one. Yeah. Of, this was all over the place because it's okay. on the wire. So yeah. every yeah, you yeah, know, yeah 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 podunk publication put this out. The wire. Senator Bernie Sanders' Medicare for All plan would boost government health spending by thirty-two point six trillion dollars over ten years. 
requiring historic tax hikes, say a study released Monday by a university-based libertarian policy center. That's trillion with a T. Those are his, that's his first two sentences on the story reporting on the Mercatus report. Yeah. Uses the $32 trillion figure. Yeah. That's from the same estimate yeah. that produces the $2 trillion of savings. If you go into row eight of that table and you add it up, that's where you get that $2 trillion yeah. of savings. Okay? That's how he's reporting it. Mm-hmm. He's reporting that estimate. Okay? On the fact check. Mm-hmm. Senator Bernie Sanders, Sanders is skimming over facts and claiming that his Medicare for All plan will lead to big reductions in what Americans spend for health care. In a recent tweet, the Vermont Independent insisted the plan will cut $2 trillion from the nation's health care bill. But that's based on a scenario in which hospitals and doctors accept significantly lower pay- payments for many patients. It's a bis- big asterisk and one the f- Sanders, that Sanders fails to disclose. So he reports the $32 trillion estimate yep. in his piece. That's trillion with a T, with by a the T. way. That's great color. Thank you. That's, um, are you an editorial writer? What, well, what are we doing here? That's giving him a little bit of a hard time. That's trillion with a T. He reports that estimate. Yep. Then when Bernie uses the exact same estimate, he says, well, that's a lie. That's a lie. Bernie is misleading people. If it's a lie, why did you report it? Why did you print that estimate? If this is a fake estimate, the garbage estimate, why did you headline it? Why is that your, your lead? Trillion with the T. Maddening. Utterly maddening. Do you Go think ahead. that the, the people who are demanding the fact check came in and made people disbelieve what they had thought before? I mean, they Absolutely. can confuse people. They can snow no. you, right? Look, I mean, like the comms teams, you know, especially ones that probably get paid as much as the Mercatus people, they oh, know man. who... They, By the way, you can hire me anytime, Mercatus. They know who, who what reporters are like, what their histories are like. You know, this is not a, you know, there's a whole game of gaming reporters and they know probably that this guy is not too hot on Bernie. That's why he was going to be willing and ready to write the first piece yeah, and ready and willing to write the second piece when they pitched him again on do a fact check that Bernie's lying because we, we actually lost this um, <laughs> PR stunt that we tried to pull. That's what I think happened. Glenn Kessler, you know, he writes an, a piece uh, along the same lines that makes basically the same point. And he makes, um, I identified five errors. He ultimately only corrected four. So he actually contests that one of them is an error. That's fine, I guess. We'll just stick with the four mistakes. Um, but one of his mistakes was, he goes, in doing his research... Blauhouse decided to follow the text of the Sanders plan. Good idea, by the way. I think you should follow the text of a plan you're scoring, and maybe that should be the relevant estimate, not uh, some other plan that you've made up. And assume that providers, doctors, hospitals, drug companies, and the like, would face an immediate cut of 40% in their payments. Okay? So he's saying that the Sanders plan would cut doctor hospital and drug company payments by 40 percent yeah not true not true not what the sanders plan says not what the mercatus study says what they say is for doctors and hospitals not drug companies by the way for doctors and hospitals the patients that they currently treat that have private insurance their payments are going to be cut on average by 40 percent but that's not all patients. Right. You, patients who are receiving Medicaid, the payments for those patients are going to go up. 
patients who are receiving Medicare, the payments for those patients are going to be the same. Right. And all those uninsured people you treat at the hospital who don't pay anything, yeah. you're going to get paid for them now. Right. So it can't be 40% overall. It's only 40% of this particular segment, Yeah. which is not even most people. It's not even represented. Point this out. They correct this. Well, they don't issue a correction. They issue an update. I don't know what the rules are there, but this piece has been updated. They correct that. Drug companies, by the way, would not face a 40% cut in payments. Drug companies are not even, are not even providers. They say providers would face an immediate cut of 40%. Drug companies are not providers. That's a total mistake. It's a totally different thing. Yeah. Two errors in the same sentence. They correct both of them. Third error. Sanders has said his plan would cost $1.38 trillion a year. But under Blauhaus' analysis, it would be closer to $3.3 trillion. The $1.38 trillion figure, one, is for years 2017 to 2026. Yep. Blauhaus is for 2022 to 2031. So it's, f- the window, it's a 10-year window, but the 10-year window starts five years later. Yeah. Well, of course, five years later, the number is going to be higher because, you know, that's just how it works. Nominal dollars just keep going up and up and up. Second, the $1.38 trillion figure refers to total public spending on health care. Yeah. Whereas the $3.3 trillion is total federal spending. And these are different because total public includes federal and state. So the point is, these figures are measuring two different 10-year windows and different quantities even within those windows and he's putting them together as apples to apples in the same sentence point this out they correct this as well he also misspelled blauhaus's name okay all right uh, okay. so that's error four that's, no, error that's, four. Not, that's um, not a pinocchio issue that's error four no, 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 no. <laughs> and it's like dude you can email me i'll okay. help you you know don't just listen to what Blauhaus is telling you. Maybe talk to someone on the other side of this and they, they could help you shoot this straight. Um, anyways, that, that's, it's, been, it's been totally insane. Oh, the other thing he said, which is that there were a lot of things that are not errors per se, but are just really obnoxious like judgment calls. So like he goes, Bernie is uh, glossing over the main point of the study, which is that federal expenditures will increase by $32 trillion or maybe even more. Well, I mean, that's what they intended the point yes. to be. Yes, what is a main but, point? But that's, like, a, that's a, a, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a polemical point they're making. Of course, Bernie is going to disagree with that. Yes, who cares? If that, so if we're defining main point here as the point that they emphasized... Yeah. I don't care what they emphasize. What matters is the right. important point. Right. Well, one of the and their main point here is not the important point to me. Maybe that's the important point to them, but it's not the important point to me. And I don't have to deal with the study that emphasizes a point that I don't think is the most important well, point, uh, especially a study written by an ideological institution whose whole goal is to try to, you know what I mean? Well, like, I mean, here's the thing, and, and this is an issue across the board, but, but especially, uh, I think, in... Uh, in the liberal world, and I'm, I'm using liberal in the common sense it's used in America here to mean basically, you know, Democrats. In the liberal world, um, a center, a think tank, a foundation, uh, because these resemble credentialed expertise providers enough, even if they're complete sham shell organizations put together by corporations and really, really rich people, which in many, many, many cases they are, 
in, in a huge number of cases, just because of how much they resemble like a serious nonpartisan uh, organization dedicated simply to a completely blank and neutral conception of the public good, however impossible that is. Uh, because they actually do see think tanks in that way, they're really resistant to acknowledging that the things that think tanks release are polemical. Of course they are. But, but I mean, but that's a genuine... No, yes. That's a no, genuine I, issue, Yeah, right? I have reflected on this from time to time, how weird it is that we, uh, that, you know, publications uh, would frown on, like, publishing a lobbyist's pitch to them, but does, do not frown on publishing a think tank pitch to them. I mean, think tankers, people who work at them are usually not making a huge amount of profit, unlike lobbyists. Well, right? it depends on which ones. It, I mean, it does <laughs> depend. It does depend. But do you, do you, I mean, I haven't looked up the Mercatus 990, but... I mean, let's look at AEI. Um, Mr. Arthur Brooks, the president of AEI, makes $1.3 million a year. But I mean, even, even if, you, if you impute the greatest amount of charity and say these are like, you know, not-for-profit organizations that are strictly ideological and really believe in promoting freedom and they're running on a clean budget and they're just going around trying to promote freedom, they're still op-edders. Right. I mean, it's important to understand they, well, yeah. these people are fielding arguments. In the cleanest sense, they're op-edders, right? And, and, and there's no shame in being an op-edder. But, but, op it, but it's also not clean, right? Well, there is some shame. There's in being no clean mean. in it, right? Like it is a, for a lot of them, this is just another lobbying channel. Right. But it's a lobbying channel that for whatever reason has respect because it's think tank. And so. Because it, it has that. Credential, yeah, expertise. and I think it's a historical thing, right? Like at first, you know, I think the first one in the U.S. was Brookings, basically. So they've changed over time. Yeah, as well. and like it was like a university without students, and it was like a real thing, sort right. of. But like since then, everyone has taken advantage of the fact that like, oh, people respect think tanks and have just created lobbying outfits and PR outfits that are organized as five hundred one c three. Well, our, our good friend uh, Ari Rabin Haft, uh, friend of the show is actually uh, a good writer on this. He wrote uh, in the Post Outlook section a great essay on uh, Big Business, Big Lies, I think was the headline. There's a, there's a great editor on that piece. The editing on that piece was really well done. It was really nicely edited by me. And uh, it, um, it, it, it points out, and I think this is a very important thing to recognize when you're kind of trying to decide what kind of information in the public sphere to credit that businesses, especially in the you know, mid 20th century started essentially creating fake. I mean, they're not fake. They're as real as any other think tank, but they started creating these centers to basically to combat consumer protection movements, right? I mean, oh so yeah. cigarette tobacco companies created a bunch of centers, uh, think tanks that would put out stuff kind of like this. I mean, they would emphasize this and de-emphasize that, and they would, in some cases, flagrantly lie, but in other cases, just omit things or manipulate data. And uh, they would say, see, look, cigarette smoking is no more dangerous than XYZ. It's no more harmful than XYZ. And the goal was, you know, essentially to sell a product. Uh, and it's important to recognize that that's, that's still part of uh, how the think tank world operates unless you're funded completely by small donors. Yeah, I'm the, like one of, I'm like the only legit think tank in town. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> frankly, because I have a real base of support. It's not a it's not big. I mean, it is probably big in a number sense. I mean, do the other think tanks have you know, like eight, <laughs> do they have eight, do they have eighteen hundred separate sources of donations? <laughs> I doubt it. Maybe some of the really big ones, but probably, probably you know not. they're pr dealing with a few hundred really big donors. And but I have like an actual crowdfunded base. Um, 
So you know. anyway, it's very clear and open to the public who you respond to. It's I don't respond to anyone. Well, I mean, this is a fucking fact if I've ever heard one, <laughs> but I mean, the <laughs> the <laughs> it's very clear and transparent, uh, you know, where your funding is coming from and who you're liable to. And, yeah. and you can and see every day how much money I'm getting <laughs> on the Patreon webpage. Right, and, it, and, it's, and, and I'm not saying that uh, every organization should have to submit themselves to that kind of real-time transparency and scrutiny, but, uh, but it, it, it is uh, something that bears retweeting. Uh, that uh, the think tank sphere is often taken as being this neutral source of info and facts, which then needs to be treated with care in our ultra-polarized uh, field. But in fact, the think tanks are already polarized themselves. Yeah, yeah. You should just treat them basically like you do a lobbyist. Maybe you'll give them a little bit more time and, and, and like attention, but understand that they're trying to sell you on something and, and, and be careful. I mean, just like you would anything else. In this kind of case, if the Mercatus comes to you with this study uh, or comes to you saying we want to fact check, then you should, like a normal journalist, contact the other side and say, hey, Merca uh, Mercatus is telling us that this is misleading. What, what, you know, do you have a response? No contact. As far as I know, they certainly didn't contact me. Well, they contacted Sanders, didn't they? I don't know. You'd have to ask them that question. Okay. Well, uh, I'm sure that they did contact Sanders. Maybe they did. You really should look into that. I, I'm sure um, that they did. I'm sure that they did contact Sanders. I mean, Sanders had his response was public. You know, if you want to take the video as his response to the Mercatus study. Well, no, no. But did they contact him for the fact check? Okay. Well, that, you know, I don't know. Possibly, That's important. Maybe. Because uh, maybe you wouldn't have made four errors. I mean, you probably would have still misspelled the name, but like okay, the other on. three. It's a, hard, it's a really hard name. You probably, he spelled it right some of the time, but not you the know, other times. You know, I do that with uh, our own last name. I misspell things all the time, so <laughs> <laughs> I think it's funny, but, um, but yeah, anyways, like that's the basic thrust of it and um but the post but uh glenn uh, you know they were responsive yeah they except were responsive in argument with you and the, so yep, that's that's they did the, the media functioning well they did the four corrections but there is a video on the washington post website <sighs> they made a video version of the fact check this mm -hmm. was obviously made in advance the video version contains a statement that medical providers are going to be paid 40 percent less than they are now that is a false statement. Mr. Kessler has acknowledged it as false and corrected his story, but the video remains. You could go on it, see it right now, and go look at some fake news on the website. Okay, I, you know, I don't think this is a fake news issue the at all. The video needs to come down. I mean, no, I'm not going to like be militant on. about it, but come it on. needs to come down. It's come on. This is n being presented as, as news, correct news to people. And it's false, and there's no correction. I mean, at minimum, maybe put a you know some text under the video <laughs> and say this is a false part, but we don't <laughs> want to take the video down for some reason. Like I understand it's a lot harder to edit a video. It is very but, difficult but to like, edit video, and it, we do it, have a fantastic video. There's thing. no excuse ultimately to say, well, it's really hard to edit it, so I guess we should continue um, broadcasting falsehoods. I mean, you know, if we just want to be clean here, that's all I'm saying. I'm not going to push it, but I, you know. Technically, the video should come down, and I've called for it three times on Twitter. <laughs> well, thanks for this hearty debate and for your um, efforts to get me fired. I uh, no, they don't. They appreciate. I mean, all respectable news outlets appreciate, you know, being corrected. They want the truth, right? That's what we're after. So um, I haven't impugned anyone's character. In fact, I, I I've said multiple times I respect Glenn and the work he does, and and I respect that they that they have been ready to make corrections. 
they do need to take the video down. Okay. Um, I feel like that's really... Should we go into the ad before we go into section two? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. <clears throat> the Hydro-Quebec Appreciation Initiative would like to draw your attention, fair listener, to the justice of democratically controlled generation, transmission, and distribution of hydroelectricity, the people's power. Yes, it is right and just that the mighty rivers of well-watered Quebec should turn over their bountiful harvest to, of potential energy to the common good. The people's power is written in each brilliant sparkling bulb that showers light down on a township's arena hockey game. The people's power is written in each stop of the Montreal Metro and in the golden nectar that pours out from a Quebec-stamped aluminum can into a thirsty mouth. The people's power, from Arctic to Atlantic and beyond, the Hydro-Quebec Appreciation Initiative salutes you. Oh, thank you very much. And they just increased their Patreon donation to 25 a month. There is not a Patreon. There so isn't one. 25 a month over a year. You can imagine how much that adds up to. What does that add up to, Matt? 25 times 12. Uh, well, so what you want to do here, right? You multiply by four. I know how to multiply. Multiply by four first because that's going to get you to 100. I know how right? to multiply. And then you multiply by three. I, it's not that I don't know how to multiply. No, but you might think, oh, well, maybe I should do 12 by 25. But the little math trick here, multiply 25 by four to get you to 100. <laughs> then multiply that by three to get you to 300 because four times three is 12. So if you break it up like that, do it in your head. <laughs> so how much? How much is it in total? 300. So that's how much they're giving us per no, year. No, there's no Patreon. <laughs> Which is a great, which is a great, a great amount. Obviously, we don't expect all of our listeners to donate that much per year, uh, keeping food on our, on this table right here that we're sitting at, keeping the lights on in the Brunig Posting Factory. You know, it's a it's a labor of love, and it's one that you guys undertake with a lot of gusto and a, and a lot of vigor. So, uh, we're gonna do our annual pledge drive next time for new patrons. You know, we really probably should start a Patreon at some point. No, I don't think we should. Because <laughs> it's funnier not having one. Mm. <laughs> um, uh, but, but, uh, but thank you very much. Thank you all so much. And, uh, and of course, if you do bump up to the Quebecois level, um, we'll be sending you a T-shirt and mug. Um, and some maple candies, I think, is our, our goodie of the month for the top tier subscribers. All right. So the next section uh, is uh, is is a topic that uh, Liz really wants to talk about. <laughs> so uh, that last time we had this mind of Liz segment, and it sucked, and <laughs> nobody liked it. <laughs> so I guess I better stick to just writing and tweeting. But uh, this time we're going to go into the mind of Matt. Um, so uh, there are lots of documentaries actually, and television shows about. Millions, millions of documentaries, maybe even hundreds of millions. Well, I mean, it's well, so I wasn't done. Um, there are so lot there are lots of documentaries and TV shows that are that focus on people with autism, how people with autism live. It's true. I've watched probably eight of them. Matt enjoys watching them. Um, you know, representation matters. I do have an probably an extra interest in it because of uh, my uh, my uh, common condition, <laughs> I guess. Um, but and so we have joked lightly here a little bit about Matt being autistic. Um, it's a it's a little bit of light ribbing, but of course Matt uh, actually is an autist. That's what the doctors say, but you know, how do you know ultimately? 
There's not a brain scan. You can't see it on yeah. a, a blood test. You can't you can't do one of those uh, Elizabeth Holm blood tests and get out an autism positive. People don't even know so. that with one drop of blood. It is weird though. I mean, when I was first con- autism, when I was first confronted with the idea, and it was like, oh, it's this set of characteristics. So Matt, Matt wasn't diagnosed in childhood. No. I was not, uh, this idea that I was um, autistic was first presented by, by you in, okay, my, so in he, my late teenage here's years. Here's the story uh, on Matt. Matt is so autistic that he managed to avoid much, much contact with people until, until it became time to mate. And then when that happened and, and he couldn't just like disappear into his room for hours on end or just go away and tell people he didn't want to talk, uh, when, you know, we started like dating and spending quite a lot of time together, uh, some things became clear. Let me just put, let, let me just put it that way. Well, and it, and it, it is true that, um, <clears throat> my parents did, uh, acknowledge that there was something off, um, uh, when I was young, but they were, they didn't, uh, and it, neither did I, f- uh, figure out what that was. And um, the guess that was made was that I had depression because I was not social, <laughs> <laughs> which is a symptom of depression. Um, but they they didn't have yeah. um, this um, thing to draw upon as a possibility, nor did I. And it, so it wasn't it, uh, as big of a cultural deal back then in the in the 90s. Yeah, I guess not. I don't know. You know, it really has kind of recently become a really big deal. Um, and you know, there's a class element to it where you don't necessarily medicalize all your problems or you're, you know, not in that overdiagnosis thing as heavily as the, yeah, that's class. true. Yeah. The idea of pathologizing a difference, right? Cause this is not a difference that, you know, I'm not fainting. I'm not, you're going to die. You know, there were no physical characteristics. It's just like, man, it's different from other people. And that doesn't necessarily, you know, you don't necessarily pathologize that. Except, in, you know, in this case, at when it, I guess, depression <laughs> was right, the right. attempt she to was pathologize like, well, at some point. something's very unusual uh, here. Yeah. Um, so uh, I spent a lot of time with Matt. And um, I'm just going to, so so well, well, sort of how did I start to recognize that? Um, yeah, I think, I think you're actually going to be way better at describing yeah. all the things than me because uh, you're outside of it, so you have a better so most of the compare contrast. Most of the symptoms lists you'll find on the internet for, for trying to place or recognize autism, how they, they're about children. They talk about how children interact with toys or act in the classroom. So, you know, if you're just a normal, you know, ordinary person, by normal I mean not medically credited, not neurotypical. Uh, so, I mean, I'm just an ordinary person. I've never diagnosed anything. Um, I start uh, spending a lot of time with Matt, and we <laughs> we have some interesting conversations where I'm like, you know, I, I always knew Matt was different than everyone else, and I really like the ways in which Matt is different than everybody else. But, you know, you start to realize there's a pattern to the way in which, you know, the guy's just a little bit off. And so uh, one time I heard this good song <laughs> in a movie. <laughs> I saw The Virgin Suicides, and I liked Playground Love by Air. We can drop a little of it in. I'm not going to do that. Okay. Uh, and I uh, <laughs> I was like, Matt, have you heard this good song, Playground Love by Air? And this was before Spotify. This was back in the iPod days. Uh, yeah, I was pirating all my music at this point from uh, BitTorrent. And I was like, 
it's a really good song. I think you'd like it. And Matt goes, yes, I heard it, but I couldn't keep it on my computer because I organize all of my music by albums and the album was shit. So I had to delete it. So I can't listen to it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't fit into my organizational scheme. <laughs> You would mess up my folders. <laughs> you, you programmed your own computer. It, I know. You did your and own my computer program was used directory-based yeah. system now for... that was another tell. Well, no. A lot of people use Linux. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Enough said. So uh, we start dating and... Um, you know, we have these moments where I'm like, oh, boo, let me use your computer to show you something. <laughs> Matt's computer is just this, like, 1960s piece of absolute shit that you can't interact with unless no, I you're was, Matt. I was using Arch Linux, and then I was using... I, I set up my computer so that it could be used basically entirely without a mouse. <laughs> I remember that. You you only navigated by typing. Yes, and, and the browser worked that way as well yes. because you would push a button and and little um, number or letter combinations would appear by every single link on the page and then you could just type those combinations and it would click the link for you or it might even click it and open it in a new tab or whatever. So you could literally navigate the whole computer just with keyboards and that's what I did. And, uh, you know. So it was unusable. And it was very text-based. My IRC client was text-based. My, my music player was text-based. All of this was in like computer terminals. Um I was using DWM, which is this tiled, this tiled um, window manager on that, Linux yeah. that is like really, really. Do you remember how insane your setup was in there? So Matt had movies on his little piece of shit laptop, which, by the way, was like four by four inches and looked like it a was little a, fucking Tamagotchi. It was an EEEPC, <laughs> but that's part of why I had a super lightweight setup because yeah. the computer was very weak and I, I needed <laughs> as many resources as I could. So I needed to have this text based system. And he has <laughs> he opens up his movies folder he's like this is when th we were so young and uh we would like fool around and matt would be like all right want to watch a movie and chill out for a little bit darling and cracks open this baby and here's like <laughs> here's my movie selection there are two possibilities <laughs> documentary and comedy yeah that was where my director that's is it. that's it those are that's that's it and i was like well but like what about what about like a drama or like a mystery fake fake those stories are fake no those stories i didn't are fake. say that fake stories not true bullshit bullshit why are you lying why are you that. lying why are you lying to the public that, but i just don't find them interesting <laughs> even now even now it's like dramas and narratives these are basically lies <laughs> yeah i mean what can be learned you've made all this up no this okay whatever we've talked about this but but so that was well, people do this though they're like <laughs> well, do you, do you think, uh, I don't know, imagine the character's name is like Catherine. Do you think Catherine, do you think that she believes this? And I'm like, what? She, what? She's not a real thing. She, she doesn't yeah. believe anything or, or <laughs> you can make her believe what you want by writing it in. I, I don't, 
uh, people have these discussions and that's baffling to me. Honestly. I know. I'll watch a show with Matt and I'll be like, do you think Shane and Lori were getting it on before the apocalypse? And Matt's like, this is fake. This is a fake what, what story. What do you mean? W- were they getting it on? It wasn't in the text of the movie. Therefore, it didn't happen, I guess, because it's its own universe. So <laughs> why are you asking, asking me this question? Why are you know? So this is like kind of how you give Matt a kernel panic. Is to, is to ask him a question like that. Um, so, you know, I started noticing little things like that. And I was like, that's really different. That's unusual. Um, to me, it was the stimming that persuaded yeah, me of it. Yeah, remember I started, so Matt, uh, can you do it? <laughs> well, I mean, they can't see it. But they can hear it. Okay. It's hard, <laughs> hard to describe. No, it's it's a it's, rapid it's tapping on the bridge of the nose. Rapid tapping on the face, and it happens when I have especially uh, stimulated, especially stimulated, um, and sometimes maybe not, but like that's definitely and and th- that's what convinced <laughs> me at first because you, when you read the descriptions, yeah. you're like, okay, these are personality characteristics, yeah. and like a lot of people have these characteristics, no. and yeah, it's a little weird mm-hmm. that I have like eight of them like what are the odds (laughs) what are the odds that you would have all eight of them because they don't necessarily seem connected but But then you're like like, well the odds might be low but some percentage of people are going to have all these characteristics that doesn't mean that you have a disorder or something Uh, but then when they were like oh also there's this stimming (laughs) thing i'm like okay yeah yeah (laughs) because because that then I'm like the odds that you both have all of these personality characteristics <laughs> and you do this weird physical thing, which I've been doing since I was a kid and yeah. everyone has always thought it was really strange. <laughs> it's really strange. Um, I don't even notice it anymore. Sometimes yeah. when I'm in the other room, I'll hear it loudly start up and I'll be like, ooh, Matt's on to something. <laughs> but He's having a big thought. Yeah, but that was the point at which I was like, yeah, the percentage likelihood that that's like not, you know, there's got to be something going Very on Very autistically here. concluded that statistically. Yeah, I mean, because like. It was just like. Yeah. The, the, I, the, the that there's a group of people that all shares this in common, including this weird random physical characteristic that doesn't, you know, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So there's I something going on there. Even if they haven't identified whether it's genetic or whatever, there's something going on there. And so I'm like, all right, Matt, take yourself to the Kaiser. Uh, just tell him you need a, a shrink. And, uh, you know, Matt goes in and they give him his pedigree and they're like, here's your papers. They don't. Uh, they didn't actually give me a paper, but, <laughs> like, uh, but they, they did. Uh, yeah, they yeah. Did, they did acknowledge and uh, do run me through the tests, yeah. and I had to go through multiple visits and whatever, mm-hmm. and then they did conclude that ultimately. Um, so, and so, uh, do you remember your coding binges as well? Yes. Well, I don't think that I don't. I don't actually know. I don't know what everything is or isn't. Yeah. But yeah, and, and you know, well, Wait, yeah. The, so the checkpoint. This is a yeah, so yeah. So I mean, I feel like you're going to be better at telling so stories this is because so, so I once had I was once talking to a friend of mine who's a psychiatrist, and uh, we were talking about she has autistic patients. I was saying, oh, my husband, and uh, and she said, rigidity is at the heart of the autistic mindset. And you you might think that what you get out of that is a person who's very committed to routines, and so and sometimes that's the case. Um, for Matt. It's just that things have stable meanings. Well, and I can I can fully contain twelve different meanings of a word, but it's like just they I'm all able to, to compartmentalize each of them. You and know? ideas are highly distinct. I, I'm very clear on everything I think. Matt's mind is like an <laughs> Apple Store. It's clean in there. It's yeah. clear. I yeah. 
I put a lot of effort into being clear. And if something's not clear, I reject it. And I just I won't throw it think out. about it. And it's I, not a real thing. It's mush. She just refuses to contemplate it. So yeah. we're, we're going if to. If I can't clear it up, then it's not clear or it's, they need to clear it. It's, but it's right now, it's not in a position to be added to my library of ideas, you know. So we're driving uh, to see our friend Will. And, um, and we were going through a series of uh, parking lots because we were at this big venue where we were picking him up. And uh, Matt pulls up to a stop sign and there are some people off to the left who are just kind of sitting, you know, they're obviously venue security, but they're just kind of sitting around. Matt stops at the stop sign and then begins to go through it. And they run up to the car, the venue. Ah, don't, you know, no, don't, don't do that. And uh, no, yeah, it was this, it was this, uh, you know, it was this big country man who sort of rambled up to it like, you know, I don't know, just kind of puffing out his chest and, yeah. you know, trying to be aggressive or whatever, I guess. And he's like, have you ever seen a stop sign before? And Matt goes, yes. I had. I'd seen many. And then Matt unfolds what is a pretty impressive piece of logic, which is at a stop sign, you stop and then you go. At a stop sign, you don't stop and wait for someone to approach your car. You don't. That's that not is how a stop checkpoint. Sign that is a checkpoint. <laughs> and so <laughs> Matt's, Matt's counter argument is I have seen a stop sign before, but I'm actually at a checkpoint right now. <laughs> I am doing the stop sign thing. I did not know that this is a <laughs> checkpoint. Normally, <laughs> you would have like a, a, a wooden arm across the street. There are other ways of indicating this, but a stop sign. <laughs> and I'm fine even if you want to repurpose a stop sign for that, but don't come at me and say, do you know what a stop sign? You're not using a stop sign the way it's normally used. So I'm not the weird one here. <laughs> You're the one that's incorrectly using this bit of this symbol. Um, See, I mean, what? I'm supposed to be a mind reader now. How am I supposed to know? You know, this is a checkpoint. I like that at a stop sign, you do not wait for someone to approach your car. <laughs> one day, I mean, one day we're going to get into some kind of traffic dispute and someone's going to murder us both because you're going to smart off like that. I didn't but think I was the, smarting thing, off. Is that this in is your mind, you're not smarting this off. This is the problem I this have. This is how you're going to get killed by cops. No, this is the problem I have. It's not in just this context, but it's over and over again, and I'm, I'm certain that 90% of the time I'm not even aware of it, which is that I am, you know, just the way I communicate is different, and 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 if you don't realize it's that I am different, then you you interpret it other than how I mean Right, right, right. And I, I have this problem over and over again, and, and I'm sure I have it a hundred times more than I even know because that's the other problem here is I'm oblivious. I'm, I'm like flying blind um, because that's one of the big issues. So people sometimes ask, you know, in a romantic capacity, they're like, oh, how did Matt propose? What was your wedding like? Did you guys go to prom together? We never went to prom. Matt uh, did not propose and we we didn't have a wedding and a lot of these were things where i was like if i try to force him into proposing what it's going to be is me like sending him 32 articles on what marriage proposals are and then basically providing him with a plan <laughs> and like and it's going to be me constructing a drama for matt to participate in and i'm like no i'm not going to do that i'm not going to put him through that and it would just be weird 
And uh, I mean, it was kind of the same thing with a wedding. It was like, this is going to be a bunch of people staring at Matt. It's going to be expensive. It's going to be a bunch of people whipping my ass. That was just me. I was like, I didn't want to deal with the ass whip. You know oh, me. Oh, yeah. Well, that's part of the... Yeah. God and generally almighty. just social stuff is, is more uncomfortable and more Matt used to heal like uh, he used to just leave social situations. Like he would seem to be getting up to use the restroom in mid conversation in a group of friends uh, and then just never come back. Not in mid conversation with me, but like if you're at a big table or something and, and I needed yeah. to go, I would just go. And I didn't, in my own mind, I actually believed that I was, you know, I, who am I to interrupt all of you guys and say, look at me, I'm leaving. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like Matt wouldn't be like, hey guys, I better head out. He would yeah. just disappear. It's a concern about bothering people. Yeah. That's a concern I've, I've always had socially and, and I don't know what bothers people and what doesn't. And over time I've started to learn, but it's a, it's a sort of a, you know, you, 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 it's not intuitive. It's not intuitive. It's, it's learned in the same way that you learn to say stuff like, you know, welcome to McDonald's. Can I take your order? You know, that's yeah. not, you, you, you just drill on it until you, you know. You get it. You yeah. Know, when you leave, you need to say, well, time for me to be hitting the dusty old trail. Right. <laughs> that's, uh, you know. And then they let you go. Then they free you. And you're like, why did I have to participate in this ritual? Why can't I just go? It's not even that I don't want to. It's not like an opposition to it. Like, oh, this is beneath me or whatever. It's just, <laughs> it doesn't occur to me. Right. And when I do my own thinking on it, sometimes I'll reach another conclusion where I'm like, well, I, I don't know. No one's ever told me not to, to, that I need to say bye when I'm leaving. And it would seem weird to interrupt people just to tell them I'm leaving. That just seems strange. Matt and also used to like, um, like for like white social lies, like if I had to go to my parents' big Easter party or whatever, and I'm like really dragging my feet and we get there like 30 minutes late and I'd be like, oh, sorry, you know, it was hard getting Jane into her Easter dress. Matt would be like, no, it wasn't. Liz just didn't want to come. <laughs> I'd be like, thanks for the fact check, boo. <laughs> yes. No. And, um, and because like, and that's very, uh, again, then this, this brings us around to, the ways in which autism in Matt manifests in very, very good ways that I really like. And Matt's completely honest. Yes. I did not realize the level of dishonesty that is, that is involved all the time. And I guess most people wouldn't even call it that. They'd right. Be if like, someone says, you? how are you doing? You say like, Oh, I'm fine. Yes. Well, and I do that now, but yeah. Or just generally, it's just like all the time. <laughs> Apparently people are just like not being square with one another. And well, that, you know, that no one, but no one told me to do that. Yeah. Like my parents were never like, you need to like lie all the time about okay. why you're late <laughs> and blah, blah, blah. That. Like you don't, and you wouldn't, we wouldn't, uh, your parents probably didn't tell you that either. You just intuited it from observing and just generally realizing, oh, it would be nice because I think they're going to hurt yeah. someone's feelings. And like, yeah, things. I don't, you know. That, but uh, you know, I've gotten better at that, but that's, that's still, uh, yeah. I mean, there are lots, I mean, I think that's the real thing. Like some of it is really, f it's kind of funny and weird, but like, and, and I, and then, then there are some aspects of it that have been helpful because yeah. one aspect of it is obsession and 
I have, I've had probably four obsessions in my life <laughs> that I've had for each of them for maybe three or four years. And, and you list them. And my late, well, I was, I was really into Linux and, uh, and that for a while and actually wrote some, some software for Linux distributions that are, that I believe is still being used today in these distributions. And so you, you monetize um, one, didn't you? I created a, a news indexing program for um, Extempers. speech and debate. Yeah. And yeah, I had, I don't know, uh, maybe a hundred subscribers on that program for a while. This it was pre Patreon. Yeah. No, yeah. You had to somehow get to my website, which was like extemp.berlios.de because <laughs> I didn't, I didn't want to pay for the hosting. So I got free hosting on this like software thing. And, um, but people would find it and it would pass word of mouth through like the speech and debate community and people would subscribe and stuff like that. And, um, you're always good at the hustle. Yeah, I didn't make a whole lot of money on it, but I mean, at the time, it seemed. Like I can a remember amount. when you used to get excited about each new. Yeah, I mean, it was exciting. It was, it was like, exciting. Yeah, it's like what I just put this thing on the internet, and people are buying it, sort of mm -hmm. sight unseen, and and anyway, so there was that, and then I was interested in like libertarianism for a while, like especially libertarianism. But uh, uh, I guess I guess in between that, or at the same time, I was really interested in just general like philosophy and like political thought. But then I got really interested in libertarianism, not because I because I thought it was the dumbest thing ever, <laughs> and but everyone was treating it like it made sense, like oh well, this is a logical philosophical position. Yeah. Um, like that was sort of how it was treated when I would like read things or talk to people or whatever. They'd be like, yeah, it's very logical. It's very rational, but, and then they would have some sort of squishy reason why they didn't believe it. But I thought it was totally illogical, like not, and I mean that in a very literal sense, like if I diagram this logically with like modal logic, I could show that this thing is internally contradictory. And, and, and I did eventually find that to be the case <laughs> when I was reading uh, that sort of stuff. And then more recently, I've been interested in, you know, uh, sort of socialist uh, policy administration, welfare states, that sort of stuff, like, ha you know, economic design. Um, and, 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 and that's, you know, because I've had basically a six-year obsession with that where I spend almost all my time reading. I mean, I'm you've seen me. I'm on, I've like, seen you. <laughs> I'm reading government websites to try to get special new knowledge that I, that you can't find in books or whatever about, you know, like the level of public production in Norway or something. Um, and yeah. And so that's been helpful and, and helped me succeed in ways that I probably wouldn't have if I didn't have that characteristic and, and was more easily fatigued by just the same thing over and over and over again. Um, but the negatives are mainly social. And that's a big part of how actual success works yeah. in society and in the economy. And it's kind of funny because I, I, I would have abstractly this critique, of course, that, you know, about cultural capital and social capital and how uh, success is a, is a scam and you succeed <laughs> by who you know and by luck and that sort of thing. I would have that abstractly, but then I still sort of proceeded in my life on the more kind of naive economist view that yeah. like, hey... If I'm super productive, if I, I have extremely like high marginal productivity, then I'm going to be employed. And like, I found that was not the case. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> It yeah. does not matter because they had when I was at the NLRB, they had metrics. 
yeah. they actually would measure your lawyerly output. And my measurements were like 30% above average. Like and I was a first year lawyer and right. I was a 30% above average. So I'm like, I got this. My productivity is high. Right. There's no, and that was a, that was a big learning. <laughs> my MP is high. And even if somehow I got fired there, I could just go to another uh, employer and say, look, man, look how high my marginal productivity is. Bring me on. No, did not work like that at all. Um, right. And so the social deficits have, have hurt me in that in that area where, you know, it's just not the case that advancement is based on merit. It's the case that it is uh, at least as a threshold matter based on social uh, ability and so social this is, networks. This is why you connect so dearly with uh, with Tanya Harding, who's your, your media icon. I love Tanya Harding. I'm glad that she's been getting a lot more interest lately. The the 30 for 30 on her uh, now, and then now this sort mm -hmm. of like uh, this sort of dramatic reenactment, but mm -hmm. the 30 for 30 especially. Um, and the, 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 the dramatic reenactment, it has this repeated line, right? Why can't it just be about the skating? Yes, and that and that's in the thirty for thirty two though, not that uh not in that in line. In those words. But, but the, I but was like that that's just like Matt. That's a Matt thing. Yes, and it, well and and, and the, but that also feeds into the, 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 the double problem I have, which is <laughs> not only a, perhaps a social deficit relating to a uh diagnosed disorder, but a social deficit related to uh all, also growing up in a in a class other than the one I'm now trying to navigate. And that was her problem in, in large part, is they were like, Well, this is uh a trailer trash uh, woman and that's not what skating is about. Uh, and so you kind of had a double whammy because you didn't have a family that was modeling for you how how sort of upper middle class people behave. No. And then uh, you also had some barriers where it comes to kind of naturally picking that up, say, if you wanted to do like a great expectations thing and suddenly reinvent yourself to be, you know, like in all of these uh, all of these novels from from the 19th, 20th century, a man of, uh, of esteem, right? If you wanted to do that, it would be very hard for you because it would require like observing other people's behavior and copying it. And that's not something that comes right. very naturally. No, I've got to both um, have a raw ability to intuit and adopt sort of social things, but then also be able to do that in a totally different class with different content right like the way that lower class people i mean you know i don't want to say like you know that like they're like these are like different groups of of like you know species of people no, no, but no, like but there are different norms like one of the ones that i've uh you know i've i've read some sociology on this that that's actually how i come to learn about it more than my experience though though when you read it it starts to resonate a bit right. um but like yeah like the idea that if you have a problem with someone that you should just confront them like yeah you know in what in what we would say ag aggressively yeah. if you're an upper class you would say that's an aggressive thing but yeah. like maybe <laughs> if you're lower class you wouldn't call it that but like the idea of like yeah if, if you think someone is wrong or you think someone is lying or you then you just you you tell them that right take and, it up with them and yeah. and that's how you deal with it and yeah. if you got to scream at, you know i mean you go as far as you need to go um and then, but if you're in the upper class, the way you deal with uh, having a problem with someone is through uh, side channels, through networks, through passive um, means. You use strings that you know to try to, you know, there's all sorts of sort of subtle things that you do. And, and no one teaches you these things, right? No one teaches you these things. And then if you just behave the way 
that you uh, normally would behave if you just are mirroring what you've seen growing up in, in, in those more sort of blunt engagement mechanisms, people actually think you're like doing some something way more serious than you intend yeah. to. Because for them, if it has gotten to that level, if an upper class person has gotten to that level, yeah. then something like really crazy has gone on. Oh, it's a game ender. Yeah. You know, you're never here, speaking again. Yeah. Here it's like, no, no, that's like the first thing you do <laughs> is you just confront them and say, what the hell, dude? Um, right. And so there were barriers and there are also positives. Um, ultimately, I think, you know, it's hard to separate the way you are from the different pieces and parts of how your mind works. Um, yeah, it, it ends up like any other identity, right? On some level, right? Because uh, I, I, when I was in uh, my undergrad, uh, well, I don't know if I should tell the story, but like if you ask people who have a disadvantaged identity, um, whether it's race or whatever, if you say, hey, uh, if you could push a button, would you make yourself a man or would you make yourself white or whatever? Uh, inevitably, it seems like they say no. Because you can't disentangle that from right, who you are. Right, because I think implicitly they're like, that would be literally an annihilation of me. Right. Like the idea that I would be me, but white is, no, I would not be me anymore because every uh, everything that composes my memories and, and how I think about things is tied up in this identity, even if it's a, a an identity that is constraining and, and hurting me in many ways. And, and it, this becomes similar to that, um, though... I would probably flip, flip, push the button. I don't just think that you I should. I would because, no, you know, I, no. I use my abstract reasoning to recognize that. Uh, <laughs> no, no, I probably wouldn't. And the only reason I wouldn't is because I do think that it, um, it ultimately, um, you know, it helped me get out of my situation. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because other people I know in my life who were similarly educated, similarly intelligent, you know, sort of in the same peer group, uh, you know, they succumb to uh, things that uh, most people who grow up um, sort of lower class succumb to, whether that's prison or uh, very, very low income jobs or, or whatever. And and I, I really think reflecting on it that the reason I haven't or didn't was in large part because of this, because this made me much better at school and also made me um, um, less socially <laughs> involved with the, you know, so like yeah, there was nothing to stick behind for there. was Right. Any, yeah. Yeah. I no mean, ties. yeah. I mean, if you if you have a lot of friends, you know, I mean, this, we talked about this in another episode, but it's like going off to college or going out of your area is really traumatic because you're destroying. Oh, oh, yeah and like these are you know and it's like but it's like well i don't really have any because i just yeah. keep to myself because i have these social problems uh so like yeah all this i think it's probably is as good an explanation for any other as to why i am where i am and why other people around me are not where i am so you have to take the good with the bad i guess and there's more to the good there's there's the fact that you're very principled Peer pressure doesn't work on you. Uh, you know, Matt pretty much thinks what he's going to think. And, and uh, you can always go to him for an independent opinion. And I always really like that. It, he, he wasn't parroting what other people were saying. And he wasn't looking to other people to give him opinions. And about 80% of the time when I go to Matt for an opinion on something, he says, like, I don't know. Or just sort of, like, can't evaluate. I'll be like, do you like how I've decorated this room? And he'll say something like, it looks normal or it looks like a room, um, which is just like, does it fit inside his pattern of like what 
things should generally look like or is it really strange? Uh, if I put clothes on, if I get a dress or something, I'll be like, do you like this? And he'll say something like, you know, it, it's strange that people wear flowers on their clothes. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. But, I, you know, I don't know if that, again, it's one of those things where it's like, can I really identify that as being sourced from... <laughs> but, like, but you have, you have like, uh, for women's clothes, it's like, that looks like something I've seen before or not. Those are the two categories. Yes. And then flowers, which continue are a separate thing because I do see people with them, but I'm like, it's weird because that's like a picture. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's not a pattern in no, a normal sense Matt, of like a geometric pattern. Matt, that is a picture that you've just yeah. repeated a bunch in your... Matt can't step back and just let something wash over him like an impression. Uh, he's like, uh, that's it's, a dress with 200 pictures of a flower on it. Yeah, I mean, it, it would be like if you had, you know, a dress with a bunch of pictures of the Brooklyn Bridge on it or something. It's like, that's weird. That's a, that's not a pattern. That's a, that's that a, could be cute. It's fine. But, but, <laughs> you, but people would not wear that in the same places that they wear the flower. Yeah, the flower is the exception is the one that you can wear a picture on a dress in, in, <laughs> in certain places. A lot of times I don't even understand your complaints about things that made that that's been a problem. So like the flower complaint, is not really a complaint. He's not saying like, I hate flowers. I don't want to see them. I'm it's fine just, with it. It's just that this upsets the little demon in my head that like, you know, the little homunculus that monitors whether things seem normal to me or yes. not. No, it's very simple. The rule is in a formal environment, if you're going to wear a dress, it has to be, it can't be like pictures on the dress. <laughs> like you can't have you like, have like 50 pictures of Billy Idol on a dress yeah, in an office. That meeting. wouldn't be allowed <laughs> except for, flowers that's the <laughs> okay. one thing you can have a picture of <laughs> and like why why that of all things <laughs> it's uh, categorically weird like just you know it's an exception and you know i i, I notice the exceptions and then the, and then other other things are like if i'm if i'm playing music and talking to you or if there are two noises that start happening at once used to i thought if you reacted badly it's because you didn't like my music or you didn't like what i was saying but actually it's just because there can't be two noises at once well no one can listen to two noises when, at the same yeah, time yeah they can actually. they can't read the studies read the studies and they women can multitasking is impossible that's what the studies I, say i don't think that's what they say absolutely and I, that's what I they swear say i've read some studies of this specifically that say that women can like hear two words at the same time out of different ears or something no but Whatever. It's like a processor. It's like crankery. a computer processor. You got to think about it like that. I don't know. Uh, but uh, at the end of the day, it also, uh, you know, is, is whatever part of it is just you and whatever part of it is is autism is a very principled, very honest person who's very reliable. Thank very you. That's very nice of you to say. Thank you. I Thank you for saying thank you. <laughs> and uh and i mean you make me laugh every day uh you're non-judgmental you're the least judgmental person i've ever known i really appreciate that your sympathies are in the right place your moral instincts are very sharp i guess because you're not influenced by society at all um and uh, and i don't mind i don't mind it at all people ask me and that's my position i i i love i love you i i think you're very very special Aww. you have taught the baby to tap on her face yeah, I feel really bad about that. It's okay. But it's fine. We got to close up, I think. Time to close up shop. That's my two cents. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back next time. Bye-bye.